Hi, and welcome to The Full Bloom Project, a body-positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Zoe Bisbing and Leslie Block, both New York City-based psychotherapists and mothers on this body-positive parenting journey with you, here to help you help your children fully bloom. A quick reminder that this podcast is for general information and educational purposes only, and is not intended for and shouldn't replace advice from a medical or mental health professional. Welcome back to the Full Bloom Podcast. This season, our theme is body positive parenting in real life, and we are featuring personalized questions from our patrons. If you'd like a body positive parenting question of your own answered, consider becoming a patron of the podcast at fullbloomproject.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Patron support allows us to keep this podcast going strong and your questions allow us to customize our content for you. So this week's body positive parenting question is, hi, Leslie and Zoe. I'm writing with a question about nutrition that I'm hoping you can address in a future episode. I came to intuitive eating and body acceptance later in life, and after doing a lot of work on my own, I finally feel confident in my ability to eat intuitively while also meeting my nutritional needs. But when it comes to my kids, I don't have that same trust. I'll experiment on and off with letting go, but always get freaked out and want to require they have fruit with dessert or say they can't serve themselves plates that are all the same color, pasta with a side of bread, my 13-year-old's favorite. I know there are foods that are more nutritionally dense and better fuel for their growing bodies, and I want to make sure they know that as well. I feel like some would argue that's diet culture sneaking in and derailing my kid's ability to self-regulate, but isn't there information they really can and should learn about nutrition that will help care for their bodies? Basically, isn't teaching kids about healthy eating important? We're so excited to be answering this question with Anna Lutz and Elizabeth Davenport, two registered dietitians who feel strongly that food does not have to be complicated. They're the co-creators of Sunnyside Up Nutrition, a website and blog about family feeding, nutrition, and simple cooking. They've each been in the nutrition field for 15 years, guiding their clients towards positive relationships with food and providing amazing resources for family through their website and clinical work. Anna and Elizabeth, welcome to the Full Bloom Podcast. So Anna, I'm wondering if you could start just by telling our listeners about your background and the work that you do. And then Elizabeth, you can, it's your turn. (laughs) Great. I'm so thrilled to be here and I am Anna Lutz. I'm a dietitian in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I specialize in eating disorders and through that work also specialize in family feeding. So Elizabeth and I met in graduate school and have our own private practices in different locations, but our kind of um, shared interest in how families feed children and how that may be an avenue to eating disorder prevention has um, kind of brought us together and we've created Sunnyside Up Nutrition that we work on together. Love it. So similar to Zoe and I. (laughs) 
So Elizabeth, you want to jump in and just share a little bit about your background and anything you want to add to Anna's introduction? Sure, sure. Um, thank you so much for having us on. We're, I'm such a big fan of your work. I am always recommending your podcast episodes, and so it's exciting to, to get to be a guest. I'm Elizabeth Davenport. I'm a dietitian. I co-own a private practice um, in the Washington, D.C. metro area. And as Anna said, we met in grad school. And in my private practice, I also specialize in eating disorders and family feeding. So we do, Anna and I do a lot of the same work. I do, my original background though was as a um, professional baker after undergraduate school. You know, I couldn't use my English major, didn't know how to use it. So, um, and I'd always loved to cook. So I cooked professionally for a long time before becoming a dietitian. And I really love finding ways to incorporate that, uh, my love of cooking and food into my work with clients. Wonderful. So we are really excited to have you answer this question. So I'm just going to jump in and ask this question from one of our patrons. I'm writing with a question about nutrition that I'm hoping you can address in a future episode. I came to intuitive eating and body acceptance later in life, and after doing a lot of work on my own, I finally feel confident in my ability to eat intuitively while also meeting my nutritional needs. But when it comes to my kids, I don't have the same trust. I'll experiment on and off with letting go, but always get freaked out and want to require that they have fruit with dessert or say they can't serve themselves plates that are not the same color, like pasta with a side of bread, my 13-year-old's favorite. I know there are foods that are more nutritionally dense and better fuel for their growing bodies, and I want to make sure they know that as well. I feel like some would argue that's diet culture sneaking in and derailing my kids' abilities to self-regulate, but isn't there information they really can and should learn about nutrition that will care for their bodies? Basically, isn't teaching kids about healthy eating important? So Elizabeth, want to give us your first organic response to that question? Sure. It's such a great question. It's natural when someone learns to become an intuitive eater later in life that they may, it may be important for them to kind of go back and do a little bit of work on creating some structure in feeding for their children. Also, in these situations, one of the things that I often tell parents is when they find themselves really afraid, it's natural to feel afraid, right? Um, but I encourage parents to really um, experiment with not saying anything when they notice these things with their kids. So Anna, do you want to add? Yeah, I want to kind of reassure this mom that you are teaching your children quote unquote healthy eating just by modeling day in and day out what is in a meal, what is in a snack, that that's really how children learn best is through modeling and experience, you know, that she is teaching children that. I also think, you know, we can talk more about this in our discussion is um, age appropriate nutrition. And when, you know, a 13, 14, 15 year old, we may talk differently about food than a two, three, four-year-old. Um, so that is a piece, I think, of this dis conversation. To echo what Elizabeth said is, you know, I really think about this a lot when uh, an adult goes through 
the steps of intuitive eating, which is a model that was created, right, by uh, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. It's a wonderful model. And a very important piece of that model is to unlearn diet culture. But when we're talking about kids, the greatest thing is we just want them to keep their natural ability to intuitively eat. And so we don't want to teach them diet culture, and then they have to unlearn it later. So it's, it is a nuanced, tricky subject. It is. It is. And I think that's why we get this kind of, can you help us with this nuance type of a question? What you just said, Anna, is is ideal, right? Ideal that our children don't have to unlearn anything. But I think the conversation that I often end up having and assessing for is, well, have they actually already learned diet culture? What have they actually already learned that we might need to adjust for? Um, and it it makes me want to ask you, what what kind of nutrition is commonly taught in schools or in the media for kids? And what are the risks of, of that? Well, you know, this is a topic that's really close to me. I do a lot of work in this and just wrote a post about my children's recent nutrition education through school. Oh, we'll definitely make sure to link to that in the show notes so that, you know, people can have further insight into your thinking, but tell us, tell us. <laughs> so, I mean, what we see, and I, and this is, the, I think the work that hopefully we can turn things around is we see two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds being taught good food, bad foods, don't eat this food, this food causes heart disease, this food causes this, that. And we see that all the way up through, I think starting in preschool all the way through. The problem with that is I think with nutrition, we're not taking into account the developmental stage of the children. And so we know teachers will can teach us that but that we know that children under about age 13, 12, 13 are very, very concrete thinkers. They can't understand these very abstract concepts of nutrition. You know, you and I can understand that, you know, it's the example I always give is that we shouldn't eat tons of cake. If we ate tons of cake, we wouldn't get other nutrients we need, right? We would miss out on other nutrients, but it's absolutely okay to eat cake, right? But that's a really kind of abstract concept. And a two, three, four-year-old, even elementary age child, you know, cannot fully grasp that abstract concept. So what can they grasp, you know, when we talk about, okay, well, what is, what's your ideal? What, what is your recommendation? What do you teach to your own families um, for the under 12, 13? So as Anna said, she really does uh, a lot of work on this and um, is working on putting together a nutrition curriculum for um, preschool and elementary school. Is that right, Anna? She's That's working right. on this with, a, with another um, dietitian and friend of hers. But you asked about the under 12, 13 age group at home. And, you know, I would say just, I also have a 16-year-old, but what I really focus on, I mean, I give them as they've gotten older, I will say, you know, this is why I might say, oh, your body needs protein, fat, carbohydrates, and here's why. But what I really focus on with my kids and just our family overall is really that there aren't any bad or good foods and pay attention to your body and what does your body need and what, is, what are the signals that your body's giving you. And 
I want my kids, and this is what we want for kids of all ages, to grow up, to trust their internal cues, and to be able to feed themselves and put together a meal as they get older. And we also want to, I mean, I keep saying we, but I also want to teach them that I wanted them to know about all the joy and connection that comes from food as well. So I really only give very small bits of information. Um, and certainly under 12 or 13, the anime might disagree with me, but under 12, you know, under there, they don't really need to know much. That's, you know, we're modeling by feeding them by what we offer. I agree with all of that. And I think maybe a clue, and this might um, kind of hone in on the, the listener's question, is if you're feeling that kind of anxiety and fear about what's on your child's plate, that might not be the time to intervene. But, you know, for an older child, and I kind of think about that as 13, 14 and up, you could say something like, um, if they're getting a snack, you know, they're grabbing an apple, hey, why don't we put some protein with that? Do you want some peanut yes. butter or do you want some cheese? You yes. know, so you're, you're, you're teaching them protein, you're teaching them what's in a balanced snack for that older child who's starting to learn to make their own meals and snacks. Um, but maybe you don't do it in that moment where that fear and anxiety could be based in that diet culture. And that could be a clue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To kind of, if you're feeling that fear, definitely hold and then think about how to talk about it, not from that place. Um, but it, it sounds like, and I'm wondering if you want to answer this question or add to this question of how about under 12 or 13 isn't teaching them about healthy eating important and what are examples of gentle nutrition for them? Well, really just you want to add to that question of the under, you know, the under 13, 12 or 13 category. What do we, what do we need to teach them that helps them with their intuitive eating? Great question. So again, I think the best way we're teaching them is through modeling. What's in, you know, what you put in front of them for snack, what you put in front of them for meals, that there's a balance there. The kind of older elementary age child third, fourth, fifth grade, I think is a time you can start to introduce food groups, but you really want to do it with without the kind of moral good food, bad food concepts. So they can start to learn what are fruits, what are vegetables, what is protein. Before that, if you look at, we really look at um, Piaget's developmental theory on this, mm -hmm. is that really young children have a hard time putting items in more than one category. And so they, they really are, it isn't developmentally appropriate to start to teach food groups when they're really little, because to be honest with you, food groups are confusing. You know, is ice cream a dairy or is it this dessert food that we're teaching children they should not eat very much of? Or, mm -hmm. you know, corn, corn can be in lots of food groups. I won't even go into it right now. They can be in like three <laughs> different food groups. <laughs> so it's, it's a confusing thing. Yeah. I noticed this with my own five-year-old. She's about to turn six, but somewhere around you know, in our gentle nutrition experiment, we have discussed protein or she learned it somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> 
But uh, all of a sudden, it's been, oh, oh, this is protein, right? Oh, this is protein, right? And it's like, it could be anything. You know, she really doesn't understand the concept. And and that's okay, you know? But it's just interesting how she's trying to, but it's not there yet. Right. And if you add in a sensitive temperament... Mm -hmm. Um, and lots of messages that are based in fear, which is coming from our society, um, then that, that's when we will, you know, we see children that become fearful of food, you know, don't eat certain foods because they're scared of them. That joy of food that Elizabeth's talking about goes away. That's what we want to prevent. Um, and, and I'd love to add that elementary and preschool nutrition education really needs to revolve around, you know, exposure to all different foods. So no, no pressure taste tests, learning where foods come from, planting seeds or watching videos um, about where food, you know, looking at a farm or, or visiting a farm, you know, whatever's accessible, you know, food science is a great mm-hmm. um, topic, you know, having kids, seeing how butter comes from cream when you shake it. You know, That's these a favorite. that's nutrition education and maybe we could maybe we could follow up with maybe if you have any little links to these these resources one or two just as examples like the shaking butter whatever I just think it might be fun for you know for us to include that in our notes yeah so so I want to keep on this conversation about it sounds like what you're really suggesting is exploration, food exploration and food exposure, you know, to all different types of food, really, really being careful of creating any kind of judgment that might have a, have a food fall into this categorical thinking that young kids are, are just prone in their learning towards. Elizabeth, you want to talk about that a little bit more? Sure. I was been sitting here thinking about this story that I often tell about um, an example of nutrition education gone wrong, right? In the school, nutrition education in the schools gone wrong. My now 12 year old was in kindergarten at the time and it was, you know, we live in DC, it gets hot. (laughs) She came home from school one day and went to the freezer, came in, went, walked over to the freezer and said, oh, I really want a popsicle but I can't. And she hung her head. She said, but I can't have one. And I said, why can't you have a popsicle? It's a great day for a popsicle. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, my teacher said sugar's bad, mm-hmm. you know, which is just, just, she was crestfallen because she, what she heard was I shouldn't be wanting a popsicle and I can't have one. And it's what my body's really telling me would taste good and, and leave me feeling good right now. So I didn't really answer your question. I apologize. (laughs) No, but I think that's, you know, I think that that springboards into the actual real life of raising kids right now in so much diet culture that's been around now for so long that this happens. You know, I was, because we're all homeschooling our kids right now, I was my a little bit older daughter, she's seven, was reading an app, a reading app. And the book was called Sugar, Sugar. And I sat there and I was like, oh gosh, okay. What, what am I going to have to like unlearn, help her unlearn right now? She's like reading this book. What do I do? Like, do I say, hey, let's try another book or do I? (laughs) And just the reality is our kids 
are getting this information. Um, and it's not coming from a malicious place, you know, or maybe deep, deep down it is, but, um, under it's not, you know, the intention is not to derail their relationship with food and their body, but the result is that that can happen. And, and what do we do in the home to help, help them unlearn that because I think yes again it kind of comes back to the beginning which is ideally our kids don't have to learn intuitive eating it's just continuously supported but the reality is they begin at a very early age to unlearn it so how do we at home teach it reteach it it sounds like there's a really important argument for just modeling, but do we need to talk about it or not? Certainly in that kind of situation, that's where you might, you know, you might say, what I know is that sugar is that it's not bad, that it's broken down into molecules, you know, that it's broken down into energy that your body needs. And things like popsicles with sugar in them taste good and they cool you off, you know, so that's how I would address something like that. Yeah. So I have a 13-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a f- almost 5-year-old. And so this has come up, of course, over the years, especially now with my 13-year-old. I think it's having those that honest conversation when your child comes home from school and says, my teacher tells me that cookies are bad, you know, I, I shouldn't eat cookies, to say, well, I always love telling parents, start with lots of questions. You know, well, why do you think she would say that? How did that come up? Tell me what you think of that. And then say, I've, I've said to my children, yeah. we talk about food differently in our house. Mm-hmm. And the reason that is, is because we really believe that our bodies need all kinds of foods. And yes, if we only eat cookies, we're going to miss out on some really important things that our body needs. But if we only ate apples all day long, we're going to really miss out on some things mm-hmm. our body needs. Your parents have this covered, and um, it's not something you need to worry about, and it's absolutely okay to eat a cookie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to be different than your wonderful teachers telling you. Usually, it's like you said, it's coming from such a good place, but name that it's different. The message you're hearing at home is different than the message the child's hearing out in the world. Yeah, yeah, naming that and just helping them navigate that there's differences. Mm-hmm. And I love, Anna, the you said that also eloquently, and I love that you rem- that you ask them questions. I often forget, I think, to ask questions, but I, I love that. Can you guys give some examples of, of questions that parents might start with rather than lecture kind of mode, which I know we all can do? <laughs> sure. Um, with my five-year-old, I might say, or a five-year-old, I might say, as Anna said, you know, why do you think they might be saying that? Where did you hear that? What else were you all talking about? Who else said this to you? Because oftentimes they'll hear it in like the lunchroom where someone will, where a friend will say something like, oh, you shouldn't have that in your lunch. And then with a 16 year old, as I said, you might ask, because my 16 year old has social media, I might say, you know, where did you see that? What accounts are you following? Um, where do you, what do you think that's based in? Mm -hmm. Is that based in fact? I know. I think that points to, you know, it's not easy for any of us, you know, even though we're up, we're doing this podcast and we're interviewing researchers and we're, we're trying to ask the questions ourselves to really, um, be compassionate with, uh, 
it is pretty complicated. Food has become very complicated. And when the, when the base, you know, the tenets of eating of intuitive eating is that it's not complicated. It's almost like we have to slowly weed out. We have to marry Marie Kondo, our relationship with food, and then it's not complicated, you know, but it's, it's doing, we're constantly doing that. So I, I just, I just, say that because yeah Elizabeth like yeah we got to remember this too it's not like we're up here perfect (laughs) perfect body positive parents ourselves but Anna can you also give us some examples of starting you know this this idea of starting with the questions well it's it when I feel that and going back to what I said earlier when I feel that fear or worry or anxiety in myself um, my instinct is to you know, say, that's not right. You know, don't listen to your teacher. You know, Mm -hmm. that's that's what I want to do. But if I can feel that and take a deep breath and really it's almost some of it is buying myself time to collect my thoughts, Mm -hmm. um, but also not making any assumptions of what the child's thinking, you know, so I'll say, what do you think about that? I really like that question because then you can hear how their little mind is processing it. Like they might say, well, that doesn't seem quite right because you put a cookie in my lunch today. You know, so then th- then you have something to talk about. Well, yeah, I really think that having a cookie in your lunch is a great idea. And I also put these things in your lunch. Um, so I really, really like that question. I'm trying to think others that haven't been said al- already. Yeah, kind of what else, what else were you talking about? How did that come up? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good one. And, you know, something I want to make sure I kind of communicate to parents listening is, what you say at home, I really believe speaks louder than all these messages, believe it or not, that they're getting everywhere else. And I used to tell myself that when my 13-year-old was five, but now I can really see it because now she's quite discerning of these messages that she gets. And she'll say to me, listen to what my teacher said. I know this isn't, you know, I know this doesn't sound quite right. Can we talk about it? A neat story that happened this year with my four-year-old is well, part of the story is sad and part of it's neat is that she came home and said, mommy, um, we can no longer have any French fries. They're bad for you. I took my deep breath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, Where did you hear that from? So that's a good question. Where did you hear that from? And she said, well, my teacher said that. And so they're bad for us and we can't have them. And before I could say anything else, my 10 year old said, Vivian, French fries are potatoes and oil. That is all. And then he looked at me and he goes, mommy, we need to find a new school. <laughs> <laughs> Wish we love her school. Um, but it was like, I just saw in this moment, he, he, I didn't even have to say anything, right? He just said, they're just potatoes and oil. Like they're, we're moving on, you know? And, um, and then, you know, just to know that these messages you say in your home. And so I want to really reiterate it so much is, is modeling is going to help your children kind of grow up to be competent eaters, which is kind of at the core of all this. Yes. Yes. I think that that is a great moment. I I wonder if your answer, your comment is the answer to the million dollar question, but I'm going to ask it to both of you anyway, so that you can add to it. um, If that was the answer. Um, And if it wasn't great, (laughs) But um, I'll start with Elizabeth. If each parent listening to this podcast and took away and did just one thing on the regular, 
What's the one thing you would recommend they do to help their children fully bloom? It's such a great question. Uh, It's always hard to come up with just one, at least for me, just one thing. But I would say it's modeling that kids learn by watching us. Well, I think mine really piggybacks on that, which is um, having your children hear you say positive things about your body. You know, I think so much we hear, you know, don't say negative things about your body in front of your children, which I think is a really great start. But um, a next kind of modeling um, would be, you know, do they hear you say positive things? Because I, you know, I really think about my children growing up, I want them to know that it's a good thing to feel positively about your body and that adults do feel positively about their body. Um, It needs to be sincere, right? Because our children can sense when it's not sincere, but it's something to kind of think on. Yeah. How can I say something positive about my body? Because I think this is a really challenging task for so many people, but, um, the, the question of just like, well, what can I find, you know, and let's find something, you know, it doesn't have to be disingenuous like you mentioned, but what can I say? Wow. My arms are so strong. I can still pick you up. Right. Right. Like it could be something your body does, you know, focusing on what your body does. But I think we're kind of taught by our culture not to talk about our bodies in a positive way. Yeah. Or we're just, we just don't have the, we just don't even have the, those thoughts swirling around in our, in our, in our reality to vocalize. Um, Yeah. I'm just thinking now, you know, today, how could I, and how could all of our listeners model something for our kids that we want them to learn after listening to this podcast and how can we vocalize um, in the modeling as you mentioned Anna um, something positive about our bodies today well thanks for joining us today thank you it was a pleasure thank you for having us So that's our show. We would love to hear any reactions or questions that came up for you during this episode. So please send us an email at info at fullbloomproject.com. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, we would really appreciate you leaving us a rating or review on iTunes so more people can find the podcast. And please consider becoming a patron of our podcast by visiting fullbloomproject.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, so that we can keep producing and delivering this content to you. Thanks for listening, and remember to tune back in next time for more Body Positive Parenting Wisdom. Thank you.